0: Just a quick note before we start, our giveaway of the Van Dyke Park's Veronica Valerio EP Only in America is still open. If you have not entered yet, go to our website, rockandrollgradschool.com, sign up to join our mailing list, and that's it. You're, You're all done. It's just that simple. If you've already signed up, hey, you are already entered. So do that right now. We'll wait. And here's this week's episode.
1: Rock and Roll Grad School, with your hosts, Heidi Hedquist and Luke Poling. They're available for birthday parties and dirty deeds done dirt cheap.
0: Here's what I've been thinking. There are two things in this world you don't want to skimp on. They are? Living room furniture, dirty deeds.
1: Well, very true. They should not be done dirt cheap.
0: Right, no, because right, dirty deeds like a corner is getting cut for any sort of dirt cheap. And same mm-hmm. thing with the living room. And I feel like every moment after you make that minimal investment in either a dirty deed or a living room set, you're going to be reminded. Like you're sitting there watching TV and you're like, this sofa is uncomfortable. It will always be uncomfortable. Yeah, and so I think both dirty deeds and living rooms Are worth that little bit of extra, like knock it up, maybe maybe go cheap. (sighs) That's a tough call. Hmm. That's a tough, tough call, and it's not just because I'm hoping a mattress company advertises with us, but I feel like, I don't know, if you gotta really narrow it down, you could add bedrooms, but that's you're muddying the waters, you know. That's true. So. Uh, hello, kitties. We're going to have a good time together. And this week's episode, I can never pronounce it correctly. Sat Sat Satsang. Easy for you to say. Satsang. Um, a really cool guy. Um, yes. The new record's really good. And we talked to him a while ago. Mm-hmm. And he was just very excited to get it out. And you'll hear in the interview him being very, uh what's the phrase? Ecstatic? Yeah, uh, fired up. Yes. Deep. About this record. And it lives up to the hype.
1: Yeah. And his story's really interesting. He's been mm-hmm. through some stuff and come through some stuff and very in keeping with stories we hear on this show, but also on our other show. Just kinda mm. making the most of your time here.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. And the record comes out Friday, Mm -hmm. June 5th. Yes. Which is why we're releasing this now. So you can listen to this and then go get a copy of the record wherever you do such things.
1: Pretty sure our listeners gathered that, but that's okay.
0: Yeah. And then I believe he is touring this summer. So that's fun. Exactly. Like no, um, yeah, I mean... He's back. Oh, he talks a bit of his friendship with Michael Franti and Spearhead. Mm-hmm. And he's doing a, a bunch of shows with them in what has got to be incredibly uh, intimidating. His second show of the year is at Red Rocks. Oh, well. So, yeah. If you're going to go the, out, do it. Go in, go in the deep end.
1: Right. Yes.
2: the place we think we're from and past the edge of the earth that we have come to call it back and I've known this since my birth but we are not from here visitors to this place but we all go back home Now intertwined and locked in time and at times it takes the We've ourselves
0: before. You've had such a, a very career to this point, not all of it music-based. What got you to, to this point now where you're, you're writing and, and singing? Was that something that always kind of was a side project to whatever else you were doing?
3: Yeah, you know, it was always what I wanted to do. I just didn't really know. I didn't really know how to do it and you know for a long time i was just really comfortable like you know i had a a pretty good little dirt bag set up here in southwestern montana where i like worked on the ski hill in the winter and then at a gear shop in the summer so you know i just rock climbed and fly fished and skied and um it was kind of hard to want much more than what i had Mm -hmm. you know
2: yeah, yeah, my my life good. my
3: life didn't. Yeah, I mean it's in, I would meet people all the time that were doctors or lawyers or or whatever that had a lot of money and they'd be like, "Fuck, man, I would trade everything for your life," <laughs> and I believe them, you know. So I just it was really hard to kind of be um, driven to pursue anything more than what I had because I just had a great life, um, still do, but just looks different now. But um you know, I took a trip to Nepal and went as a climber and it ended up being a a real pivotal thing in my life. But on one particular day there, I just was kind of inundated with the question of, you know, like, what are you going to do, dude? And I knew it was music, you know? So I spent the second half of that trek in the Himalaya just kind of putting together like, this thing in my head of just like, okay, when I get back to the States, I'm going all in. And, you know, it was a long process, but that was what I did.
1: Wow. And did you go all in when you came back? Did you basically just say fuck it to everything else and just went full force music?
3: Well, I kept my job, but I I started all the process. Right. So like I met a dude that played mandolin and he was down to play So we started playing locally regularly and then started going to Bozeman, which is a few hours away and really just doing the, the slow exponential build. And then, you know, about nine months later, we booked a tour and played a bunch of really shitty three hour bar gigs all over the country. Um, and then, um, you know, we played a festival in, in, in Minnesota and a bunch of people were singing the songs. And that was when I was like, okay, holy shit, like this might work. So then I put together a a full band and then was really all in. And then I kind of became obsessed with like the, you know, the business side of just like, okay, how do I really do this? You know, and I had some really awesome mentors and um, you know, I, our, our first real big break I would say was, you know, after touring as a band for a couple of years playing for nobody um, we had the opportunity to open for Michael Franti and um, he could just tell I was hungry. You know, he saw me standing outside the venue, hustling CDs and um, he took us out on the road for a whole year. And that was kind of when everything changed for us.
0: That's, That's awesome. and was he sort of a, a mentor on the road kind of?
3: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's like two sides of it, you know, it's like one, you're, slugging it away in a van at that point we didn't even have a trailer and um you know pulling up to a venue every day with three buses so on one side it was like really motivating to me to be like okay man this you know you can do this because here it is in front of you but franti was always so available for me Mm -hmm. you know um so he was absolutely a mentor to me when we were on the road
0: and it's also just got to be, you know, like you said, doing three-hour gigs in, in bars and stuff. He's playing a little bit bigger venue. So that's, you know, learning to play that size of room has got to be a challenge as well.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, um, you know, I think it was for um, Carl, my bass player. Mm-hmm. You know, he always really struggled with nerves for me. That's all I ever wanted was to play in front of, thousands of people so for me it was a huge relief to not be like you know get to a venue and then be like yeah there's 12 pre-sales um (laughs) you know to just be like oh no the theater's sold out and it's a you know 3,500 person room um and his crew was so cool with us too you know like about halfway through the tour he started running sound for us and they were just so cool um really really helpful Um,
0: how do you uh and you've got a family, clearly I could hear in the background. <laughs> like, How do you uh, balance that? Because everyone talks about, a lot of musicians talk about needing that place of silence and kind of zen to to start writing and start kind of connecting with yourself in that way. Where do you find that? Is it the garage? Is it your basement? Is it in the car? How do you, with everything else going on in your life, where do you find that, that piece?
3: Well, I have... Um a really awesome office um, that's outside of my house. It's in an old um, elementary school. Awesome. But I guess I'm I'm kind of <laughs> different than, um, than a lot of artists. I don't um, – I can't ever write a song if I'm like, okay, I'm going to sit down and write a song. Like, shit just comes. Mm-hmm. You know, and it comes really, really fast. And – you know, yeah, I just have this weird thing in me that, you know, I was, man, I've been poor my whole life. And music has made me the provider of my family. So it's like, I just kind of made this agreement with my creativity that whenever it calls, I'll drop what I'm doing to answer. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm blessed in that way. I don't struggle to create. It's like, I just have to, you know, I just have yeah. to, i explode.
1: Yeah, it is. That's a really, really good way to put it. And I think too, you know, so often you hear of musicians and artists in general that some of the, most of the best artists have lived a very storied life long before they became musicians. And that creativity kind of sparks from that. Do you think the experiences that you've been through leading up to this helped with your creativity or do you think that no you were just born with it and no matter what it would have been there exploding
3: um i think it's a combo of both you know i've always been drawn to to music and art uh since i was young um so i think there's definitely an element of that of just like predisposed neurochemistry to being a creative person but yeah, you know, it's I've had a long, hard hard road thus far and it's just been smooth and easy the past few years. Um and I guess that's just how I've always related to the world is by going, Okay, well I'll just write a song about it then you know, <laughs> rather than like yeah. um lashing out. It's just it's how I relate. Um And a lot of times I don't even know what a song is about until after I listen to it. And I'm like, oh, man, this is about my sister that died. Or, oh, this is about, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, which to me uh, makes it really special. And it makes it, it's how I know that something's pure. It's why if I sit down with a cool riff and I'm struggling to write, then I just walk away. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, you know, when something's supposed to come through, it'll come through. And my job is to get out of the way and let it happen, you know? And if I force it, it's gonna suck.
0: Cheaper than therapy. But I mean, it's, <laughs> well, it's interesting that it's sort of, you you have these epiphanies and you have these conversations and, and you're wrestling with subjects that you don't even realize what they're about till later. Is that is that kind of every song where you're like, oh, this is, this is what I was working through? Or, it, you know what I mean? Like, is this just a constant?
3: I feel like this new record was definitely that.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm.
3: most of it anyway where it was like these really pretty songs were just coming out and I was just like man this is badass and and this record was weird too because I could hear everything finished like right when I'd write a song I could hear it finished which that had never happened before um so I had this like that was the joke that I kept telling the label and all my bandmates was like I can't wait for you guys to hear this record that I've been listening to in my head for six months. <laughs> like, it's really dope. I promise. Um, but it's like, yeah, this record was kind of the first time that it happened because usually I would like be writing and be like, oh, okay, cool. This is I'm pulling from this, you know, I'm pulling from this mm-hmm. experience or this feeling. And this record was different. You know, I would just be writing and these songs would just come out so fast. And then it wouldn't be until I would like record a demo version to send to Carl to to just be like, hey, check this out. Then I'd be listening to it and be like, oh shit, this is about that.
0: How much did the band in that creative process? I mean, you like you said, you heard the record in your head. How much did they bring to the table and change what you were hearing?
2: Yeah, did they well, hear some, the way you did?
3: Um, well, so it was really special because um, you know I haven't had as much time. Home in Montana as I did post COVID, you know, in probably six years.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So I got back to doing all the shit that I used to do, you know, fly fishing, being on the river, climbing, and and, and just being a a Montana kid again, you know. And um, so I, it seemed weird to go to a studio to make this record. So I flew everyone out here. We rented a house in Paradise Valley that had a finished barn, and turned the barn into the studio and. We took a day to just hang with each other, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, the dudes really picked up on the vibe and the spirit of the land and just the like what I was going for. So without really any prompt, they just played what I heard in my head, like um, particularly our drummer Ben. I mean, he did fuck four or five songs first take. And wow. I would be, I'd be tracking guitars in the house with Stefan and Carl would be like, Hey, do you want to come listen to this to see if we're on the right track? And I'd come listen to something and be like, yep, that's it. Like <laughs> that's that, that's, that's the drums. Yep. Um. So it was really natural. I mean, it was so fluid. It was stupid. Same thing with Stefan. I mean, he... Yeah, he had one or two takes on certain songs, too, where it was just like, okay, I guess we'll record another one, but we're not going to use it. Um, So I think everyone just being together and being in Montana, they were able to hear the songs and, like, look at the mountains and where we were and be like, okay, I got it. Um, The biggest thing that – the only, like, wild card where I was like, holy shit, was we have a song called um, I'm the One. And I had kind of told Stefan, like, yeah, dude, I don't know. There's this really wild, like, Afrobeat bridge that just kind of comes out of nowhere. And I was like, I think it's done, maybe not. Dude, and he played these guitar parts over it where I was like, not in a million years would I have thought to play what he played, and it made it so cool. (laughs) Um, But yeah, 99% of it was them just understanding where I was coming from. So, like, as me, me producing the record was real easy because they just... Like, you know, before they came out, I was like, listen to this, like, this is the vibe, you know, listen to the guitars on this song. And so they just nailed it without much direction.
0: How much different do you think it would be if you didn't record it in Montana, in a barn with that surrounding?
3: I can't even think about it, man. I mean, it would have, it would have been fucked up.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> if, uh, it wouldn't have felt good. Mm -hmm. You know, like it was weird. I had all of these things where I was like, so my goal with this record is like Montana's never had a sound, right? There's like a Nashville sound. There's a Southern California sound. Montana's never had a sound. So I wanted to make one. Um, So like I bought this Gibson, this Gibson acoustic. It was made in Bozeman. And I actually had some solo gigs in Colorado, and I refused to take it with me because I was like, nope, this guitar can't leave Montana until the record's done. So I just had all of these weird things where I was like, no, like everything in this record has to be Montana
1: and there can be no outside influence. So I just I can't even think about that, man. (laughs) So if you were to describe to our listeners who probably haven't heard the record yet, what how would you describe the Montana sound?
3: it's really big. Um, and it's really (laughs) open. Um, you know, I really tried to make every song kind of sound like you're standing on a plateau staring at the mountains. Um, so there's definitely like some country, um, some old country feel in there, Mm -hmm. but also really tried to pull from like, You know, there's like, like Lord Huron and like the Lumineers do a very good job of making this big sound, right? It's very open and like, um, that was what I was going for, was everything very wet and verby and huge and um, open. Like, it doesn't sound like you're in a room. It sounds like you're outside.
2: Yeah.
0: So I think it's needless to say that this is of your, you know, three previous records. This is the one you're the happiest with, the sound.
3: Man, I hate listening to my music. Like, if it comes <laughs> on, I cringe, you know, and yeah. this, this record, um, you know, I have to drive like an hour once a week to get groceries, and I listen to it on the way in and the way home. Like, it's so weird. Like, I love this record, and I listen to
1: it all the time as a fan, and it's me. It's so weird, because um, I've, n- I've never I love had that. that. And that's one of the things we've had a, a couple of musicians we've talked to same thing, like, they hate, but then there's that one album or that one piece of music they did where it just, it's on repeat themselves. And that's just when, you know, you've hit something special, I think. And I think that's so cool when you can sort of stop listening to it as the creator and listen to it as a fan.
3: Yeah. And the, and the band has all said the same thing too. It's funny, man, Carl, Texted me last week. He texts me about once a week, and he's just like, "God, this is a great fucking record, man." <laughs> you know, and it and it, it's just, yeah, it feels really special. I keep saying like, if this record doesn't like level us up or like uh, get us a bunch of new fans, I'm like, I don't even know what the fuck to do, man, because this shit's rad. It's like, and I've never felt this way about anything I've created. I've always just been like, yeah, I like it. Um, but this feels so special and so. Like all of the songs feel like universal, like somebody could hear them and it could be about something completely different for them than it is about, than it is for me. And I really love that. I love things being up for interpretation, you know?
0: Have you gotten to play it for any fans and sort of like obvious, like you said, you and and the band and the other folks really like it, but it seems like something that's like made for your fans to freak out about. <laughs>
3: You know, the record doesn't come out until June. We only have one single out that we just dropped last week. Um, but this summer, as we were getting mixes and stuff like that, I would give it to friends of mine that are out on the river all week and would just be like, hey, play it for people when you're on the river and see what they think. Um, and the overwhelming response was, I would listen to this all the time. Um which, which makes me happy because most river guides are, are, are with people from all over the country, you know, they come here right, yeah. to get on these rivers. Um, well, I think it's like with, with the release of the first single, our fans all were like, this is different, but this is cool. And what I really hope is that there's people that are into kind of the alt-country scene or the, the indie singer-songwriter, Lumineers, Lord Huron vibes that all of those fans can also hear it and be like, oh, shit, this band is different than I thought um, and and hop on board with us. Cause I I feel like I really just came into my own as a songwriter and a creator. And I know even beyond this record where I want to go.
0: Reading the press release when it sort of name checks some of the the bands that you've been influenced by or that you kind of feel like are in this record. And it ranges from folks like Uncle Tupelo and the Jayhawks and Head in the Heart, but then you know you're doing so well on the on the reggae chart, and you know there's other you know other names referenced, or like Motown records and Tom Petty, like it's all over the place. So I mean, it seems to me like your sound is your sound. And do you think it's just you finally were able to capture that on tape in a way you haven't before?
3: Yeah, man. And I think a huge part of it was being left the fuck alone for a while.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you, know, like, <laughs> yeah. Um, mm-hmm.
3: you know, it's really hard to to catch up to yourself when you're touring all the time because it's like even when you're home you're not really home because there's always this like like the sand going through the hourglass you're always like okay well I gotta leave again in 27 days so it's hard to settle in and like regroup and Mm -hmm. for me when COVID hit I didn't freak out I was like okay cool man well Um, I'm going to start lifting and I'm going to put on a bunch of weight and I'm going to commit to therapy and I'm going to do all of this shit for myself and my family that I've said I was going to do. And so I just dove, dove into it. And with no shows on the horizon, I was just left alone. You know, there wasn't a call every fucking day being like, Hey, what, you know, we have this offer for this. Do you want to do this? Like everything just got stopped, which for me was such a blessing. Um, Cause it just got me out of my head and into my heart. And I, and I hadn't been there in a while. I had always just been, okay, what's next? What's next? What's next? And, and getting outside again. Um, And getting reintroduced to music that I just kind of forgot about, like all that old country and, mm-hmm. Um always being a huge Tom Petty fan, that was like my shit going into this record, was like any time I was questioning something, I'd be like, What would Petty do? <laughs> um, and most of the time that involved like he wouldn't play the acoustic man, he'd play the telly and he'd turn it the fuck up. <laughs>
2: are the
0: places I'm from that I go These are the places I'm from that I go All Right Now by Day is available this Friday, June 4th wherever you get your records and for more information check out their website SatstangMovement.com.
1: You can follow us on all the various socials. You can check out our website at rock'nrollgradschool.com for more grad school content. And please leave us a review on iTunes. We're tired of asking our family members to do so.
0: Today's show was produced by myself and Heidi Hedquist. Our reluctant executive producers are John Sobey and Sandy Stone. Our willing producers are Rachel Allen and Randy Jeanette. Our intern is Zach Jackson. Our graphic designer Samantha Mastonen. This one's for Philippe. Thank you. Good night. And may all your favorite bands stay together.
2: We've been there before and I have plans to go back.